I've asked him to share a little bit of his testimony of God's grace. Gives you a little glimpse back into what things were like in uh, Romania when Ceausescu was dictator and some of the things that were taking place and how God is working in situations that uh, man is not able to do anything in. And then he's going to preach the word to us. So Soreen, we're very delighted to have you here. So come up, come up and share with us. Um, it's been 13 years since I was last in this place. It's just hard to believe. My feeling it was like it was last week or a month ago. We're moving fast through, the, through this life, isn't it? And um, I hope that something that I can share with you this morning uh, will bring you to the point to understand that life has been given to us. It's been the grace of God. And we have to do our best to live in a significant, significant way for the Lord. I was born in a very dark time in Romania. Uh, we bordered USSR, and in 1947, um, the power of Russia set up communism in Romania. Um, and uh, the church uh, at that time was really crushed by the power of the communist system. Uh, most of the pastors in the evangelical churches uh, were forced to uh, become informers, which means that every single week they had to go and give a report of what's going on in their congregation. Some of them did this to spare their life. Others did to protect their families. Some other did it because there were some gains in that and benefits if they did it intentionally and willingly. Um, the true church in, in that time uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s was uh, the underground church. Now, if you, if you watched any uh, documentary about uh, what's going on now in uh, North Korea, that is what it was in my country at that time. Um, so... Um, To be perfectly honest with you, I had no idea how bad things are because the whole system was set in such a way to make you believe that it's wonderful. And we really thought that we are the most advanced country in the world and things are, are perfect in, in Romania. But all went up to a certain point when I began to understand some things, and all started basically with my conversion. Um, 
by God's grace, a small uh, community from the underground church uh, rented a small room um, in the neighborhood. At first, I was reluctant, and although I was invited to go and attend a meeting, I knew that is something that could not be good. But eventually, I, um, I went with my parents one Sunday morning, and that day something unusual happened. Ever from, from the very point the man that was in the pulpit began to preach God's word, the Holy Spirit just grasped my heart and began to work with such a powerful um, change in my life that ever since, from that point, there was never a gap to reconsider that my decision to follow Christ was a mistake. Um, I was not aware that that very first Sunday I was converted. And believe me, I didn't know anything about Christianity up to that point. Real Christianity. There was a form of religion that we had, but as my father was a member of the Communist Party, we were not allowed to go to church. Uh, and the church that existed in Romania was the Eastern Orthodox Church that didn't have the gospel. So um, there was such a love that began to grasp my heart and uh, draw me to go there, not being aware how dangerous it is to attend that underground church. Um, I, I became really excited with what I discovered. It was like... Uh, light in the middle of darkness. So I went to school and I was a good student in that school. I began to share with other children from the school about what I found. So more and more from that school, students from that school began to attend this underground church. And it happened basically that about 50 students out of a school of 200 began to attend that school. We were going to school and singing about Jesus, getting little Bibles with us, completely unaware of what's going to be. And the day came. Um, the day came when the teachers, the, we, will, we were calling them the comrade teachers, uh, they, they found that basically... Uh, the person that created all this movement in that school, it's me. So they literally began to get me in a type of typical communist interrogation every single day, coming with all kinds of intimidations and uh, putting high pressure on me to give up going and attending that underground church. Obviously, most of the children that were so excited uh, gave up uh, because of the pressure that was put on them and their families. Uh, but with me, it was, it was different. They began to put pressure saying that this is, this is completely wrong, this is a sect, 
it's very dangerous and I will suffer consequences. But there was something beyond my power of decision. It wasn't that my mind realized the danger. I just knew that I simply cannot give up following Christ. It was simply something that I realized that it's beyond my capacity of saying, yes, it's dangerous. I will try to be more careful. And I just talked with, with these communist teachers and I said, you ask me to not believe in Jesus Christ. This is like asking me to not believe that my mother and father exist and I love them. This is the very same thing. It is so real for me that I believe that Jesus exists and I love him. It's that simple. I cannot give up. So they threatened me and they said, okay, if you are so stubborn, then we are going to expel you from school. I went home and I began to pray. And I realized this is a matter of life and death. This is, this is critical. My parents didn't know what's going on. And more than that, the relationships, um, the family relationships were so strong in that community that if something happened, it was the whole extended family that was blamed for that. So I knew that there will be persecution coming from my family and uncles and aunts and everybody else. In spite of all that pressure, once again I experienced that incapacity of giving up. So I went back to, to school and I said, you do whatever you want with me. I will continue to follow Christ. So sure enough, when I finished uh, the seventh grade, I was expelled from school. They kicked me out from school. Now, there was something in that experience that I want to uh, emphasize. It wasn't the first time. These, there, there were a few times in my life when I, I experienced that. It is, it is when you reach a point in your life when for the sake of Christ you're ready to give up everything. That is the most wonderful point that you can experience in life. Because you, you know so well there are things that we are determined by. I don't know, uh, family, um, the wealth that we have or whatever, you know. But when you come to that point to see and to say, Christ is everything for me, and that is all, that is phenomenal. That is phenomenal. And I bless the Lord, and I thank the Lord that he brought me a few times at this point when I was basically ready to give up everything. Because whenever it's hard for me, Whenever I have and I, I face difficulties and persecution today, I go back and I remember the grace of God in the most critical times in my life. And that gives me the power to move on. 
in spite of whatever is in, uh, in front of me. So, after that time of persecution, yeah, there is something else. I was 12. I was 12, and it was amazing what kind of awareness I had at that time. Because most children at 12, they really, they play games or whatever. But for me, at that age, faith in Christ became the, the greatest objective of my life. And somehow the grace of God began to make me so aware of all these things and understand life in such a different way than many others. This was the grace of God. And I just, I'm so thankful that that grace came in my life in that time of my life and not after things have changed in Romania. Yeah. Salvation is a great thing. And when you experience salvation, you know it. Maybe you don't understand all the implications, but you know that something radically has taken place in your life. It is like yesterday you've been one person, and today you are fundamentally a different person. So uh, after that uh, time of persecution and pressure from, from the school, it followed the pressure from my family. My parents came and said, if they kicked you off from school, we are going to kick, out, kick you out from, from home. If you are so stubborn with your faith and whatever you believe, go to your repenters. Now, this, this word is, is important. In my country, true Christians are identified by this label, repenters. So, whenever I go uh, to, to reach out people and I start talking and mentioning the word Jesus, the name Jesus, uh, they... All of a the sudden, they feel that something is not normal with me. That's different. So the question comes right away. Are you a repenter? And I simply say, yes, I am a repenter. Because that way they can draw the, diff, you know, the line and they know he's on the other side. <laughs> so um, it, was, it was such a pressure. And in the middle of that pressure... I want to say that I tasted the most wonderful times with the Lord. And some of you know that when you experience persecution for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel, that is the time when you taste the sweetness of glory. It is something that God does to raise you beyond fear and all the pressure that is. Sometimes I miss those times. I, I confess that I almost want to go back. <laughs> it is freedom now in Romania. There are other ways in which we fight with all these powers. And, um, but I miss to leave the challenge of faith. 
So that was the, that was the first reference point in my life, the, the, first, the first point when I discovered life with the Lord and, and faith in Christ. Um, at a very short time after that experience, uh, just, just months after that experience, revolution took place in Romania and everything has been changed. But for me, one thing that is valuable is that that experience took place before. Because the test has been passed well and the grace of God showed me what means to stay on Christ's side in the most difficult time. Because after that, there was so much blessing coming. Uh, everything has changed in Romania. Uh, after that point, and I went to school, I, I, I began to study computer science, and I, I began even to work during high school in a company uh, producing programs. And obviously a great future began to open. But then God came again and said, no, 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 you're not made to make money. You're called to preach the gospel. And it was another time in my life when I had to deal with a great decision, like two ways. This is the way of career and money and safety and comfort and everything that you want. And this is the way of preaching the gospel with challenges, with persecution, with being blamed for many, many things. And again, the grace of God came. And when God has a plan with you, there is just one way. There are not alternatives. I learned that on my skin. So once again, it was the time when I, I felt that, you know, just like uh, in computers, you reset or you format the hard drive. <laughs> And again, I, f I had to face the challenge with my family because they wanted me to have a future, to have money, to... And I had to come back and say, I give up all for Jesus. It's just wonderful. I want to emphasize that, to give up all for Jesus. So, um, but from that point, I began to, to experience such a grace in my life, the Lord blessed me in ways that I could not ever imagine. I began to study theology, I went in the ministry, and I began to, uh, to serve in, in church planting. Um, and uh, right after graduating from uh, Bucharest University, um, where I studied theology and literature, uh, I went on the mission field, and in a short time, I met Brother Paul Washer. <laughs> and when, when Brother Paul began to share with me his experience on the mission field in Peru, and you probably know he was there during the war time, and um, he, he preached the gospel in the jungle, we began to feel like we resonate very well. And then um, the, Lord, the Lord blessed us with having a really great ministry in Romania, Serbia, uh, Republic of Moldova, Ukraine, 
uh, in planting churches. I am not with statistics. I never count how many people were saved or... Uh, I just celebrate when that happens. And I don't... I cannot even say how many tens of churches have been planted thus far. But the Lord used this ministry, Heart Cry in Romania, to do great things. Uh, a part of that, we've been blessed to have great teachers coming. Brother Charles Leiter, the Lord has been using him instrumentally in, in shaping uh, the theological understanding and understanding the gospel uh, so well, and I would say that probably two generations have been influenced uh, by teachers bro uh, like Brother Charles. Uh, some men that are in the ministry now and serve the Lord, preaching and teaching and being pastors and others that are our students. So I am in debt to you, uh, to your church, that you, you are behind Brother Charles whenever he comes to Romania. And uh, we would love to have him at least twice a year, but we know it's, it's not possible. Um, about six years ago, um, after, after being mostly um, uh, a kind of itinerant evangelist in Romania uh, and traveling to see all the missions that are planted by Heart Cry and helping all the ministers in different parts of Eastern Europe, the Lord called me to start planting one church. So uh, I began to, to serve in, in uh, planting this church. And ever since the beginning of this ministry, there was a principle that I wanted to emphasize over and over again in our congregation. And the principle is this. The task to proclaim the gospel is to be carried not only occasionally, but intentionally. What does that mean? There are many opportunities that the Lord gives us in sharing the gospel. Um, and we try to use these opportunities. We just feel in our spirit, in our, in our uh, heart, that this is a great chance for me to share with this person the gospel but beyond that i believe that the lord calls us to be intentional in going and proclaiming the gospel of jesus christ and that is when and that happens when you take time to go out to meet people and to be intentional in this endeavor of taking the gospel to the lost. It is like you do evangelism on campus. You take a few hours every week to go and pray on the streets, meeting people and sharing with them. That means to be intentional. Now, most of us are in the occasional uh, mood. I mean, we, we do occasional evangelism but there is a step further that the Lord wants us to take the one of being intentional now some of you or most of you that have been intentional at a certain point or another you know that whenever you you are intentional in preaching the gospel is not that easy 
because that there, there is that inertia of not going you know that you you never know what you you will face when you go and it, it's not easy and do you know why it is because when you become intentional you cross a certain line and you step in on a different territory and that is where Satan is strong. You are on his field. And you take the battle, not anymore being on your field. But you are on his field. And he is strong, very strong there. When you become intentional in preaching the gospel, there are all kinds of occasions coming up. One after another. But along with that, when you become intentional in preaching the gospel of Christ, there are all kinds of powers popping up and coming against you. And let me take you to a passage in the Bible that I believe illustrates very, very well the powers that you face when you become intentional in preaching the gospel. Please open your Bibles with me in Acts chapter 16. There is one passage in Acts 16 when Paul reaches the city of Philippi in Macedonia. And I love to see Paul with his love to take the gospel to the lost. He couldn't stay in one place too long. He just... He just moved on and on and on, wanting to reach more people for Christ. So he, he goes to Philippi, which was um, a kind of uh, Roman colony in the land of Macedonia, where were uh, generally Greeks living, but many, um, many aristocrats from, from Rome they, they loved that place and they uh, formed a little colony there in Philippi where most uh, that lived were Romans. So let's see what's, what's going on when, when somebody is intentional in preaching the gospel. Let's read verse 16. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bond servant, servants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed... And turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Now the, the question that raised in my mind when I read this passage was, why Paul was greatly annoyed when this girl announced in the whole city that him and Silas are the servants of the Most High God, preaching to them the way of salvation. Because we started many churches in, in many places, and 
going for the first time, we really wanted that all the people know that we are the servants of Christ there. And if we, we would have had somebody like this, we would have said, oh, great, thank you, louder if you can. <laughs> A great advertising for free. But for Paul, it wasn't like that. And I, I began to sense that there is something behind all this scene. And I learned something that is, is almost like a principle. Sometimes there are things that seem to be good, but they are deadly bad. Especially when it's about the gospel. And Paul realized that this is not free advertising. He realized that at this point, the gospel is at stake. And he took a stand. What I want to see here is that the first power, generally the first power that counter-react when we are intentional in preaching the gospel is the power of hell. Is the power of a cult. Is the power of Satan. The demonic power. And I do believe that we are not aware of this great power that counter-react the gospel. We are not aware of how many things happen in the realm of demonic. And sometimes we are not aware because we do not step with the gospel in the area where Satan is the master. Where he rules with power. But once we step in that area, we see so much power that comes from this demonic area. I remember many instances when I preached the gospel and I faced people that were demon-possessed. People that came to me and screamed to me. Remember one case when I preached the gospel in a gypsy, uh, in a gypsy church and the gypsy community historically has been involved in so much witchcraft that even today you would travel in some villages in Romania and you can see advertising with witch and the name and, you know, hundreds and hundreds of women that are involved in witchcraft. And I was preaching in this church and everybody knew that in the congregation there was a witch. Somewhere in the back and just turning her voice and just grumbling something there, some kind of incantation or something. But the power of Christ was so powerful there. And I felt that, you know, I preach and I teach the word, but sometimes there are unusual, there is an unusual feeling that God works powerfully. And that was an experience that I had that day. At the end of the service, this woman came to me and in front of everybody, pointed to me, and, he, and, and she said, you made me feel like in a horror movie. I said, praise the Lord. <laughs> Finally, because generally you make some people feel like being in horror movies. There is no time to explain how many instances I face in in uh, facing all these people that were demon-possessed. But I do believe that even here, 
when you take the gospel to the lost, you will face this power. And it is powerful. It is a great power that comes against the gospel. But let me tell you something. The power of the gospel is greater than any power that comes from Satan. Any demonical power. The power of the gospel overcomes all the demonic power. And that's what we see here. Paul turned and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. And I do believe that this girl was saved that day. Now the next power that comes against the power of the gospel is what we read in verse 19. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. The next power that comes against the power of the gospel is the power of finances, the power of money. And man, sometimes the gospel hits really bad the pockets of some people. I remember a friend of mine who was converted, and he told me his, uh, uh, his uh, experience of salvation, his testimony. He said, brother, I worked in a key position in the company. I was the one signing all the paperwork. It was a cement company producing cement in Romania. And he said, day by day, there were huge trucks of cement going out from the factory. And I was the one having to sign the paperwork. And he said, I knew that almost half of the cement doesn't go in the right place. I knew that I signed the paperwork that this truck goes to a certain place, but the truck was going in a different place, and I knew it. All the managers in the company, they were making big profit from that. Then Christ saved him. And the next day, he went to the council meeting. He stood up and he said, gentlemen, I want to make an announcement. I was saved. What's that? Well, I became a repenter. Ah. And so what? And he said, I cannot do any more what I did. I will not sign any paperwork. I cannot lie anymore. So here is my resignation. So he came out from that company. But all the management in that company was real afraid but because he knows a lot of things now. So basically the whole, uh, the whole business collapsed at that point because of one man that was saved. Well, that happened here. These masters that owned that girl and were making great profit by her uh, uh, job with telling and foretelling the future, basically they lost all their business at that point and they counter-reacted. There are so much money, there, there is so much money that in, is invested in counter-attacking uh, the gospel. Today there are people that intentionally pay and use their money 
to stop the gospel advancing in this world. So one power that you will face when you will preach the gospel intentionally, it is the power of money. Well, the next power. After they, uh, they seized Paul and Silas, they dragged him into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing, out, uh, throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs uh, which is not lawful for us to accept or observe being Romans. So the next power is the political power. The chief magistrates of the city represent the political power. And definitely when the, 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 the gospel goes forth, the political power is there to counter-react. I do believe that most politicians in every country in this world, they hate the gospel. Yeah. They don't love the gospel. Although they know that the gospel can bless a country, they don't love the gospel. And they will do whatever they can. Change laws. Change the constitution to not interfere with the gospel at all. This is a great battle. A few years ago, we uh, went in the uh, central park of the city of Brasov. And we began to share to people. And one, of, one guy from our team began to proclaim the gospel. Shortly after, the police came, showed up, asked us uh, what legal support we have to do that. And we, we showed them the, the article from the Constitution that gives us the right. He was confused because he didn't know the article, of course. And in that confusion, he called the local authorities and he found that there are local laws that would not let you do that, even though the Constitution gives you the right. So uh, they, they came back with more, more policemen and they began to uh, insist that we should stop. And we said, we have the right. There is a right that is given to us. Anyways, uh, at, at a certain point, they got so angry with us, they called the special forces and they arrested us and took us at the police station. And again, that typical communist interrogation. I realized that communism didn't die in Romania. It's still there. Um, and it wasn't the first time when I faced uh, an arrest. Uh, uh, I had a few experiences that, thus far. So there was, I was just at peace with everything. I knew that God is in control. So they asked us to uh, declare some things, and we, we insisted that there is law, lawful, and it's nothing wrong. They gave us a fine, and they released us. We went back to the, to the park and continued to share the gospel. <laughs> <laughs> now having a fine, it was like, okay, we have it. Uh, we go back. And, uh, but then we, we thought, okay, should we just pay the fine and, and stop with this? And we realized 
No, we should, we should go in the court. It is a great opportunity to preach the gospel in the court. So just like Paul and Silas, we began to read the passages and see their experience in the court. And so we went, uh, there was a big hall like this, lots of lawyers and people there uh, waiting for their case uh, to come. In Romania would be like uh, more cases in one day and everybody is in the courtroom waiting for the case to come. So uh, it was boring, all kind of administrative cases and money and whatever. But when it came our turn to go, we didn't hire a lawyer or anything like that. The judge asked us, what did you do? And we said, we are here because we proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the whole, you could have seen, like, everybody was like, <laughs> because it was something unusual. So we had the opportunity of being there and explaining the content of our message. But the judge was really angry against us. And not following any legal procedure, you know, being in the, independent of emotional involvement, she couldn't stand that. She was just screaming to us. What would happen if a Muslim would come to preach here the Quran or whatever? Said, if that person would be legally doing that, it's just fine. So she realized that she went in the wrong direction. So... <laughs> After a few days, after the first hearing, we felt like, you know, the, the power of demonic was there. The political power was there. And all the pressure, we felt it coming against us. And we went, we prayed with the church for the second hearing. And when we had the second hearing, it was fundamentally different. That lady, the judge, came and said, gentlemen, I understand you. Indeed, there is a conflict between the higher law in the land and the lower law. And you are right, and there will be no fine. But please go to get uh, an approval from the city hall. We said, that's fine. We go. If they give it to us, we will use it. <laughs> if not, we will do what the Lord asks us to do. And we are covered even by the Constitution. So the political power. And I don't know if there is a time, even in the United States, when the political power fights against the gospel, like today. It's scary. But this is what we have to face. And if any, any of you wants to become intentional in preaching the gospel, know that this is what is coming. And don't be scared. When they pop out, out, even today when we go on campus, don't be scared. This is normal. This is natural. But the power of the gospel is greater than any of these powers. And the power of the gospel is greater to defeat the next power. Verse 22 says, The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. The power of the crowd, the, pro the power of the mob, 
Man, this is, this is scary. When you have people that are easily manipulated and they come against you, whoo, this is not easy at all. Because what, you know, we can see here how the, the financial power and the political power manipulates the mob so, so easy and stirs the mob against the men of God that preach the gospel. I faced many times the power of mob. And I learned something from studying the book of Acts. When the mob is angry against you, don't be afraid. Just look them in the face and continue to preach the gospel. Just face them without fear and continue to preach the gospel. There is so much manipulation. People are so easily manipulated today. And you see how even in this country, now it's when it's time of election, you know, all this pride comes and power to prove that by power you can do something instead of saying our chance is the gospel. If this nation turns to God, we don't have to act in power in, against ISIS or whatever. We just have to bring back the gospel in this nation. And it's going to be fine. And America will be again the greatest nation in the, in the world. Because it honors the gospel and it not honors Christ. But people love to use financial power and political power to prove that they are entitled to rule a country. The power of the mob. I remember one case. There is a dear brother from the United States that is a missionary in Hungary. And he's been there for many, many years. He even took Hungarian citizenship. He speaks Hungarian perfectly. Nobody knows that he's an American. They all think that he's Hungarian. I, I love this brother. And he told me one, one experience he had uh, when he began to establish a church in the northern part of uh, Hungary, where there is the greatest, the biggest Catholic uh, church in the land of uh, uh, Hungary, he said that uh, the mayor of the city invited him to uh, participate at a meal with all, uh, all the other officials in, in, in the city. And uh, he knew that there is a maneuver from the political power in the city against this congregation that was so active in the city, doing evangelism, doing all kinds of events. So uh, he went uh, at this meeting, and they began to talk, and somebody uh, from the councillors in the city council, not knowing that he is the pastor of that church, as they were drinking there and, and having the meal, he said, Oh, did you hear about those uh, repenters? Uh, you know, that sect that is in the city, those Baptists. Did you hear that uh, they turn the light off when they have the meetings and they, you know, they do all kind of orgies and uh, do this and uh, sometimes they drink, drink blood. You know, the, the old myth. And everybody was like laughing and, 
oh, they, they do all these, you know, sexual things, and they were just laughing and laughing. And, and this brother stood up and uh, said, Sir, it happens to be the pa- that I am the pastor of that church. And he said, you know what? Let me tell you something. If we would do what you're saying, if we would do all this sexual promiscuity that you uh, accuse us of, I'm telling you, our church would be the largest church in the city. We would have all the people from this city in our church. But no, what you're, you're saying is wrong, and you just manipulate the people in this city against us. So Paul was not afraid of the crowd. And uh, the word says that uh, they were struck, I mean, expect to, be, to, to experience physical abuse when you preach the gospel, and prison. They were threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened them uh, their, fist, their, their feet in, in the uh, stocks. Now, there is another power, and this is the last power that I want to emphasize. There are more powers. In the book of Acts, we see then in Athens, the power of philosophy um, and uh, all kind of powers, the power of religion, the Jews came against them. Uh, and it would be an interesting study through the book of Acts to see how many powers would come against the gospel. But the greatest power, the greatest power that is defeated in this warfare is the power of darkness and death. This man... This jailer that received the task of putting Paul and Silas in prison. I don't imagine him being a skinny guy like me, having a tie and nice clothes there to care for that prison. I imagine a tough guy, big, strong, big arms, tattoos, really tough. No fear. I mean, to be a jailer and to have some tough guys in your prison is not an easy thing. And I imagine this, this tough guy had no fear of anybody. But that night, that night, the Lord changed his life. This man experienced something beyond his power, beyond his pride. The word says that in the middle of the night, Paul and Silas were not crying at all because they are there. But on the contrary, they were praying and singing the hymns, praising the the Lord, praising God. And the prisoners were listening to them. What a wonderful church place. What a wonderful place to preach the gospel. Now, I don't know what times will come over the nation of America, but probably there will be times when some of you will be in prison for the gospel. When you are there, don't write epistles asking for support. 
Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. That's a wonderful place to preach the gospel. And so along with the prisoners that were listening, this jailer was listening too. And this man, all of a sudden, heard the prayer and the singing. Now, I, I don't assume that everybody here is saved. I wish, I believe that. But it's a more careful and prudent assumption to say that not everybody in this place is saved. And maybe you are like this jailer living in darkness, loving the darkness because there you can sin and you can do whatever you want without being seen. Loving probably pride and power. But let me tell you something. God can save you. He saved this man. He can save you. There is nothing that can stand against the power of God of salvation. Nothing that can stand against the power of the gospel. And that makes me happy. And that gives me the strength. And that gives me the joy of continuing to preach the gospel in Romania. Because I know that God can save anybody. And that night he saved this jailer from his darkness and from his sin. This tough guy. He brought him before Paul and Silas and, and he said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So, if you hear the singing, if you hear the prayers here, know that God is after you. He wants to save you. He wants to bring you from, from the power of darkness and sin and death. From that power of death, God can take you out by the power of Jesus Christ and the gospel and bring you in his kingdom. So I pray that the Lord will work mightily in this nation. And I want to end up by saying, yes, use every opportunity to preach Christ. But more than that, be intentional. Be intentional for the gospel in spite of all these powers that will stand against you because greater is the one in us than the one in the world. And the gospel is the power of salvation of anybody who believes in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Thank you.